Hi, my name is Andrew Prout. Uh, it's been about 10 years since I visited your church at Calvary Baptist in Ellensburg. Uh, at that time, Pastor Fred Lampley was the uh, pastor, but greetings to Pastor Stephen and thank you for this opportunity. I'd like to introduce myself. Uh, my name is Andrew Proud. I'm a missionary with Christar. Uh, most recently, I've been serving in Germany with my family, working among Syrian refugees. And God willing, in just a few months, we'll be leaving for Southeast Asia, where we'll be uh, serving in a seminary that trains leaders uh, to serve in the 1040 window or those places in Asia that are the least reached. Um, so today we're going to be in the second chapter of the Gospel of Matthew. But before we get started, let's open in a word of prayer. Father, I thank you for this day. I thank you for um, uh, Calvary Baptist Church. I thank you for placing them there in Ellensburg and for your strategic purpose for them and your kingdom uh, purposes. And Father, I pray that you would fill me with your Holy Spirit, that you would guide me in the words I speak, and that everyone who hears would be transformed and changed into different people, and that we'd all be challenged and we'd all learn something new. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, these days, I'm sure you all know that there's a global pandemic that's been sleeping, sweeping through the world like a tsunami, the COVID-19 or the coronavirus. It's a respiratory virus that's primarily spread when we talk, when we sneeze, when we cough, and when we breathe. Because viruses can travel a fair distance from our mouths, infectious disease experts are encouraging us to uh, practice social distancing and to stay at least six feet apart from one another. We've been encouraged, encouraged to wash our hands frequently, to use hand sanitizer, to avoid touching our noses and mouths and eyes. And the coronavirus, as you know, it can spread by touching some objects such as a doorknob or a metal object or a, a water glass, something that has the virus on it. And, and then by touching our mouths and our noses and our eyes, it can uh, trans, be transmitted to us. So we've all been vigorously cleaning surfaces because the virus can remain viable on surfaces for somewhere between a few hours and a few days. In a similar way, Jesus was hated by the Jewish religious leaders because he was not prop practicing proper social distancing from those who they deemed to be sinners or those who are spiritually impure. The Jewish leaders, they scornfully labeled him as being a friend of sinners, the worst things they could possibly say about him. They believed that Jesus was not holy enough, if holy at all, and he was not righteous enough, if he was righteous at all. They hated Jesus because he forgave bad people. The Jewish religious leaders thought that Jesus was disloyal to God and disobedient to the Mosaic law. If he had a standard of righteousness which was lower than them, they assumed that he couldn't possibly be the Messiah. He couldn't possibly be the, their savior. The Jewish rabbis used to say, don't go near a, a sinner. Don't teach a sinner the Mosaic law. In Luke chapter 18, a Jewish religious leader and a tax collector, they go to the temple to pray. And the Pharisee, it says, stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, like robbers or evildoers or adulterers or even like this tax collector. From the perspective of the Jewish religious leaders, there was nothing but disdain for sinners. But Jesus, on the other hand, he, he seemed to be comfortable with them. If you have a Bible, please open with me to Mark chapter 2, and we're going to be in verses 13 to 17. Mark chapter 2, verses 13 to 17. Let's read these verses together. It says, Once again Jesus went out beside the lake, and a large crowd came to him, and he began to teach them. And as he was walking along, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, Jesus told him, and Levi got up and followed him. 
While Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and, and his disciples, and there were many who followed him. When the teachers of the law who are Pharisees saw him eating with the sinners and tax collectors, Jesus asked his disciples, I'm sorry, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said to them, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. According to our text, as Jesus is walking along beside the Sea of Galilee, he bumps into a tax collector named Levi, who we know by the nickname Matthew, the author of the first gospel in the New Testament. Matthew's name means gift of God, but this was actually his nickname. Matthew had a tax collector's booth, which was on a caravan route, which ran from east to west, from Damascus to the Mediterranean coast. He collected import and export fees, sales and customs taxes, and various types of tolls. He would tax the number of axles on a wagon and the number of fish that fishermen caught. The Jews despised tax collectors because they worked for the Romans, who were their enemies. Tax collectors were traitors, having turned their backs on their family, their nation, and God. Tax collectors were excommunicated from the synagogue. They couldn't give testimony as witnesses, and they were not allowed to give tithes. Tax collectors had a reputation for dishonesty. They would take bribes from the, ricks, from the rich, and they would extort the poor. They would overcharge people, and then they would put the extra into their pockets. They were a source of shame for their family and from, into the community that they came from. Tax collectors were put on the same levels as murderers and robbers. Parents would encourage their children to go up and spit upon the tax collectors. For Jesus to say, follow me, to a tax collector was scandalous beyond all comprehension. It would have been a stain on Jesus' career to have a tax collector as a follower. No self-respecting teacher would want a tax collector as a friend. No teacher who called himself the Son of God, the Messiah, the Savior of the world, who is holy and righteous, would ever call into his company a tax collector. The amazing thing is that the Bible says, right after Jesus told Matthew, follow me, that Levi got up and followed him. Levi gave up a lucrative business when he chose to follow Jesus. A fisherman might return to fishing, but a tax collector could never return to his job, since many people were in competition for the work that he had, even though it involved social ostracism. Matthew would have been shocked when Jesus asked him to follow him. Matthew was a wicked man who only cared about money. He was about as greedy as you can get. However, when he left his tax collector's booth, he left everything behind. There was no return. Then verse 15 says, While Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. Jesus' practice was distinct from the other Jewish religious leaders who refused to eat with those who they considered to be sinners. In the ancient Near East, eating symbolized acceptance, welcome, friendship, and identification. Ordinarily, a Jewish person would not eat with anyone who they considered to be a sinner. The meal which Jesus attended was in Levi's home. Levi was a very wealthy man who likely had a very large house that could accommodate a large group of people. The people who showed up to Matthew's feast were likely all of the people who were part of the Galilee Mafia. The gamblers, the moneylenders, the drunkards, the prostitutes, the tax collectors, the dregs of society, the lowest of the low. Those people who their Jewish religious leaders thought would never get into heaven. In the ancient Near East, when someone invited someone else into their home for a meal, 
It was extending a pledge of loyalty and protection to that person. To accept an invitation to dinner implied a willingness to become a close friend with the host. When Jesus accepted Matthew's invitation, he was conveying by this action forgiveness. Jesus' critics believed that they should not associate with people with such people because they would be at risk for becoming ceremonially defiled. The fifth chapter of Luke's Gospel also records this incident when Jesus came into Matthew's home and ate with sinners. Luke's Gospel says that when the Pharisees and teachers of the law saw Jesus eating with tax collectors and sinners, that they began to grumble. Luke uses a Greek onomatopoeic word, goguzo, to describe their grumbling. An onomatopoeic word is a word that looks like the sound that it makes. And we can almost hear the sounds as we read. Examples in English of onomatopoeia are the words slam, splash, bam, gurgle, belch, roar, twang, jangle, and ring. Tring, ring. The sound of their grumbling sounded like goguzo, goguzo, goguzo. Can you hear that? It sounds like complaining. When the religious leaders observed Jesus, they asked his disciples, Why does Jesus eat with tax collectors and sinners? When Jesus heard their question, he answered, It's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. These days, because of the coronavirus pandemic, we have all become familiar with hospitals. While previous battles and wars were fought by soldiers and armies, this battle against the coronavirus is being fought in emergency rooms by doctors, by nurses, by EMTs, and other first responders. If a person is sick with a coronavirus, they may need to go to the hospital for medical care, for medicine, or even if their situation is severe, they may need a device to help, them, to help assist them in breathing, such as a ventilator. However, if you're at home and you're strong and healthy and not showing any signs of being sick, then the last place you want to go is the hospital. A hospital is designed for the sick so that they can be healed, so they can recuperate and have their life saved so they can resume their place in society. In ordinary circumstances, if you go to a hospital waiting room, if you look around, you're not alone. You're surrounded by people who are looking pale, who are walking slowly, who are coughing, sneezing, and who have faces which look sad. No one is smiling because they're sick. They need a doctor. No church has a, a sign hanging on the outside of their church which says, We're only here for the spiritually healthy. If you're spiritually sick, please stay away. In the same way, Jesus is the great physician. He's a spiritual doctor. The church is meant to be a hospital for sinners, for those who are spiritually sick. Some people say, well, I don't want to attend church because the church is filled with hypocrites. But we can respond to them by saying, well, why don't you come and join us because then we'll have one more. The church is meant to be a hospital for the hurting, not a place for the perfect. One thing we must never forget is the transformative power of the Holy Spirit. One of the first and greatest evangelists in the early church, the Apostle Paul, he started out as a persecutor of the church before he put his faith in Jesus. One of the early church fathers, Augustine of Hippo, was a member of a cult and he was sexually promiscuous before he trusted Christ as a savior. You never know, maybe the next Billy Graham will be a person who's a drunkard right now. One important question that we need to answer is, when Jesus asked the question, or he said, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. What Jesus saying that the Jewish religious leaders were righteous and spiritually healthy? The answer to that question is no. No, he wasn't. 
In fact, in other places in the New Testament, Jesus calls them hypocrites, blind guides, children of hell, sons of Satan, the lawless, serpents, and broods of vipers. But the reality is we are all sinners. And that the Jewish religious leaders were just as much sinners as the tax collectors were. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The Pharisees thought that they had no need to come to Jesus because they thought that they were righteous. The church is not made up of people who think they are good, but of people who know that they are wicked. The church is not made up of people who have achieved righteousness on their own. It's made up of people who have received a righteousness from God that's a gift. Ephesians 2.8.9 says, For it's by grace you've been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It's a gift of God, not by work, so that no one should boast. No one can earn their salvation. No one can achieve their salvation by being good enough, by being righteous enough, by being holy enough. Jesus saves the ungodly, the unholy, the unrighteousness who believe and repent of their sins. In Luke chapter 5, verse 32, Jesus says, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. The scandal of the gospel is that the only people who can ever go to heaven are sinners. And we are all sinners. We all need to be saved by God's grace. None of us deserve it, and none of us can earn it. Jesus is the great physician. He can take a greedy and shrewd tax collector like Matthew, grant him salvation, forgive him, and give him a position as one of his twelve disciples. One of the great ironies of the coronavirus is that about 25% of those who get coronavirus are asymptomatic. That means that they don't show any symptoms and they don't fall ill, but they can still transmit that virus to other people. A great example of this are children. Many children have had coronavirus and they have not become sick, and yet they have gone home and they've transmitted the illness to their parents or their grandparents, and then their parents or their grandparents have become violently ill or they have died. The Jewish religious leaders are much like this. They're just as sinful as anybody else, but they're not aware of their spiritual sickness. On the surface, they look like they're spiritually healthy, but in their hearts, they are full of wickedness and every type of uncleanness. Jesus doesn't require people to be righteous or clean before they come to him. When a sinner encounters Jesus, the sinner will be inspired to become righteous. Jesus does not say, first straighten out your life and then God will accept you. Instead, Jesus invites people to allow God to change them in the context of acceptance and forgiveness. When sinners encountered God's acceptance, they became different people as a result of meeting God's grace. Because of their gratitude and their thankfulness for the magnitude of the forgiveness that was shown them, they were led to spiritual change and righteousness. When they encountered God's acceptance, they responded in love by drawing near to God. When lost people met with Jesus, instead of Jesus becoming ritually or morally defiled by them, sinful people were led to God and to true ceremonial and spiritual wholeness. Jesus' holiness was much more contagious than their impurity was. Let us pray. Father, thank you for the glorious message of the gospel. Thank you that where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. Thank you that no matter how sinful sin is, grace triumphs. God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. We recognize that we are sinful and that we are unable to save ourselves. Thank you for the grace which saves us. Thank you for the free gift of salvation that is given to all who believe that Jesus died on the cross for our sins and rose again after three days. 
For those who are here today sitting, waiting for the offer, waiting for your call, come into their heart today and forgive them by the power of the Holy Spirit. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.